The Moment has arrived. I'm Tom Dickinson, and this is The Moment. Now, as you may have noticed, it's 2021, and much has changed in the world since last we spoke. But despite everything, this is still a podcast about Doctor Who. And in keeping with the pattern established by previous seasons, each week I will speak with a different Doctor Who fan about a moment from the show that my guest has chosen, and we'll get to the bottom of what makes that moment so interesting. None of that has changed. What has changed, of course, is me, and you, and all of us. We've all changed, because that's what people do as time passes, and boy, has time passed in the last year. It has passed quickly, and it has passed slowly, and it has passed oddly, and what better way to reflect on how the strange passage of time has changed us than to revisit an episode of Doctor Who that touches on that very topic. I'm speaking of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary special from 2013, The Day of the Doctor, an episode that not only commemorated a half-century of Doctor Who, but also brought the Doctor into contact with versions of himself from his past and his future to see what he might learn from them and them from him. Back in August, I spoke with Shannon Dohar, a podcaster and a contributor to the blog Head Over Feels, about one of these trans-temporal multi-doctor encounters from the Day of the Doctor. As you may recall, that episode features the 11th Doctor, played by Matt Smith, meeting up with some of his previous incarnations, played by David Tennant and John Hurt. After unraveling a Zygon plot in the National Gallery in London, the Doctors find themselves revisiting the last day of the Time War, a day that we had previously understood to have ended with John Hurt's War Doctor wiping out Gallifrey and all Time Lords with it. But at the episode's climax, through their combined ingenuity, the Doctors manage to save Gallifrey, freezing it in time so that it only appeared to be destroyed. At the episode's close, the Doctors have gone their separate ways, leaving the 11th Doctor and his current companion Clara Oswald back in the National Gallery, and that is when Shannon's moment happens. As the 11th Doctor is standing in front of a painting, Clara leaves him to his time uh, and says that... Oh, by the way, there was an old man looking for you. I think it was the curator. And that is when uh, my moment happens. I could be a curator. I could retire and be the curator of this place. Which is the sound of Tom Baker's voice. You know, I really think you might. Kicking in. That, like, booming voice just comes comes over. You were curious about this painting, um, I think. And... I acquired it in remarkable circumstances. What do you make of the title? Well, which title this too? Matt Smith and Tom Baker have a conversation. No more. Oh, Gallifrey Falls. Oh, you see, that's where everybody's wrong. It's all one type. About what happened to Gallifrey. Gallifrey falls no more. After the doctors attempted to save it. What would you think that means? The Gallifrey didn't fall. It worked. It's still out there. So what is it about that moment that led you to want to pick that? It would be Tom Baker. (laughs) Tom Baker, okay. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of reasons, but I'm an old school girl and Tom Baker was my doctor. And the 50th was such a beautiful time in the fandom and in like my life and fandom. And it's just, it's a perfect sequence. He's so fourth doctory and also so kind of beautiful elder spirit of mm. the classic era. And it's like, it's light and it's fun and it's, funny and it's eccentric and it's also like really beautiful 
and uplifting. And it's just like everything. It's everything I love about Doctor Who. Is that too much? <laughs> no, I mean, sure. <laughs> that, that works. Why is Tom Baker your doctor? Or like, how did you become a fan and how did you imprint on him? I became a fan when I was very little because my dad was a fan. So my dad's doctor is John Pertwee. He would let me stay up late on Friday and Saturday nights and watch Doctor Who on PBS. And Tom Baker was just always my guy. I loved like the toothy grin. Like I imprinted on the scarf. I thought he was funny and interesting. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. I loved his dynamic with his companions. And he just like, I always felt safe when he was on screen. And that's like the most that you can ask for from your doctor. Tell me what you think about this episode in general. I mean, it's 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 magnificent. It's a high watermark. Some of it, you know, the 3D kind of kitsch is a little bit tiresome. It's an oil painting. Poor Clara has to keep saying, this painting is also in 3D. In 3D. Yeah, yeah. But it pulls off exactly what I loved about, like, the five doctors when I was a kid, where you kind of can't believe that all of these things are happening all at once, that you have, you know, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart. looking a bit sluggish. Tell Malcolm they need new batteries. And you have a, a doctor we didn't even know existed. Today, this war will end. Mm. No more. Coming out of nowhere. And you've got the current no, doctor. Fault. You're obviously not playing enough attention. Reverse the play. You've got like the last kind of big beloved doctor. There's two of us. I'm reversing it. You're reversing it back again. We're confusing the polarity. Which the five doctors did not have because Tom Baker was notoriously missing in that. Um, mm. And I always loved multi-doctor stories. And this works extremely well on L levels. It snaps right along. There's not really a dull moment in it. Everybody gets something to do. Nobody feels like they're just kind of shoved in for a cameo. We couldn't have asked for a better 50th anniversary. Did you see this in, in 3D or in a cinema or, or anything like that? I did. Yeah, I saw it in Times Square in 3D. I went with a couple of my friends. It was still very early in my kind of fandom experience. So I didn't know any of the family that I have now through Doctor Who. It was it was not with them, but it was really special. And it was I remember like so many of us gasping when we heard his voice and like half the audience just melting into a puddle of goo. instantly yeah i mean more than more than almost any episode of doctor who i can think of this one um feels to me so inextricably linked to the circumstances in which i watched it Mm. it was an event like and it was a joyous time in fandom leading up to this people's levels of hype were were high whether that was because of excitement for the episode itself or you know night of the doctor which preceded it or an adventure in space and time like every every button was being pushed to kind of get people in a space where we all felt really gooey and happy about doctor who yeah and it paid off, which almost never happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they pulled it off. It could have sucked and like we would have been like, oh, okay, well, yeah. yeah, I guess it's a fun way to spend an hour. But no, it, instead it's a it's an episode that some people consider the best episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. So what did it mean to you to see Tom Baker, or well, first to hear and then to see Tom Baker return to Doctor Who after all these years? Is that something you had ever expected? Absolutely not. I never in a million years thought that I would see Tom Baker in Doctor Who again. Like, I just didn't. I'm very aware that he is he is up there. Mm. He doesn't leave the country. He's a little bit on the frail side. And also, like, he's an eccentric old man who's just, like, hanging out with his cats in the garden. Mm. <laughs> no part of me ever thought that Tom Baker would come back to Doctor Who. And to have it be in the role of a curator. I never forget a face. I know you don't. And in years to come, you might find yourself 
revisiting a few, but just to have that like the old favorites question mark of him like revisiting a few old favorites. Like it's all played so perfectly. Like there, it's so subtle and it's so like he didn't have to come back as the fourth Doctor. That wouldn't have necessarily worked like i think the way that they bring him back is so wise and he has so much fun and but no it never never in a million years did i think that i would see that man in doctor who again absolutely not and it, it's so much of it for me as the voice mm. it really <laughs> that voice just kills me yeah i feel like baker i wouldn't say he's like he had like turned his back on doctor who but he had you know expressed disinterest in appearing in big finish and wasn't as you know publicly repping the show as he he started to around this time and then he you know came back and did big finish he did this he did yeah it's um part of it is about affection for the character in the world of the show but also part of it is like the feeling of family with the cast and how it's like having a family, like a prodigal son return. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And because of his like refusal to be in the five doctors and he hadn't shown any interest and he again wanted to be left alone in his garden with his cats and who are we to argue? Mm. <laughs> but, you know, the, the reticence to be involved was starting to crumble right around this time. And, you know, of course, then he told everybody that he was in the 50th. And my favorite thing is that none of us believed him. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember in the sequence when all 13 doctors appear. Good luck. Ready? Commencing calculation. I thought, well, that's what he meant. Right, yeah. But no. No, yeah. no, that's not what he meant. Oh, he God. really, he truly was just telling everybody that he's in the 15th. I, I want to return to the moment, like before the moment. How were you feeling about the special at that point, And how did the moment change the way we're feeling about the special? I am very sentimental about Gallifrey. Mm. Like, it's one of the things that I always loved the most when I was a kid. It's one of the reasons that I had a hard time coming back to the modern series. Because I did, I was kicking and screaming. <laughs> I really, like, I was one of those old grumpy fans that was like, what do you mean there's no Time Lords with funny hats? Keep this away from me. I don't want anything to do with it. And I came around in like 2010-ish, so really just in time. Hmm. But I love the way that they handled Gallifrey. Gentlemen. In the 50s. I have had 400 years to think about this. I love, like, the framing of it. I changed my mind. And I, I came to love and appreciate the fact that, that RTD got rid of it to begin with in the, in the relaunch. I think it made practical sense. And I thought that this was the moment, if they were going to change it, you have to change it for a reason. Mm. And this was a really good reason to me. And I thought it was handled beautifully and it added so much to the, to the myth. So I was like, I was all in pre the moment. And then, you know, I'm also, I'm an art history person but where would Gallifrey be frozen so the concept of frozen in an instant of time safe and hidden away exactly like a painting life being saved within a painting is just spectacularly like built for me <laughs> you can't get more me than that sequence and like the fact that that they're saving a planet in art just brings it to a whole new level. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask. I mean, I know you're in like an avid patron of museums, so yeah. I was going to ask. You know, do you think that's a part of why this resonates with you? And I'm, I mean, I'm sure it probably would have resonated with you if you had been anything. If you had been, I don't know, like a dog catcher or something. But. Yeah, I mean, the the point of entry was low for. <laughs> For me to love Tom Baker coming back to Doctor Who. But again, never in my wildest dreams. Like as a curator. Mm. And that he's also so, he does it so well. And he's, Mom, you, and what, do, what do you make of the title? What do you make of the title? Mm. And, and that like very 
academic but approachable way. That's the actual key to art history. You, you sure, be academic, fine, but also, like, all that actually matters is what the painting makes you feel. That's all that actually matters. And everything else kind of falls away. What would you think that means, eh? So it's all about open-ended questions, and it's all about saying, like, well, I don't, I don't really know what this painting means. What do you think this painting means? I'm only a humble curator. I'm sure I wouldn't doubt. Then where is it? Where is it indeed? Yes. Lost. And here's, here's like, language for you to talk about what you think this painting means. But what's actually, what actually matters is what you see in it, and is how you take it, and you know, how it sits with you. Go looking for Gallifrey. Well, it's entirely up to you. Your choice. Eh? I can only tell you what I would do if I were you. So the fact that he does all of that in so little time—it's just a beautiful sampling of art history and what art can mean to people. And if you really want to get meta about it, I mean, that's what we're doing here today. We're talking about what art means to people. Yeah. <laughs> and so to have that vocalized by like the doctor is is pretty pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you mentioned the notion of the open questions. He very much is an open question. This is one of the moments in Doctor Who where it's more about what it means to the viewer, I think, than it is what it means in the narrative. Like you mentioned, that he's this kind of elder spirit of Doctor Who who is appearing to us uh, as much as he's appearing to to the character. Yeah, and with with like every bit of grace that you could hope for, mm. and every bit of open heart and. You know, the, the beauty in, in saying perhaps it doesn't matter either way is also in saying, like, this show is what you make of it. Mm. And the story is what you make of it. And, and that's all, that's all that matters. Oh, perhaps I was you, of course. <laughs> there, there's a little exchange, which I believe is an ad lib. <laughs> you are me. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> what do you think of that? God, it's, I just find it to be so delightful. Yeah. It's that, those are the moments when I'm like, that's my doctor. Congratulations. <laughs> Being a little bit haughty, like, I have given you this thing, and isn't it great that I've <laughs> given you this thing? And they play off of each other so well. You know, they both, Matt Smith and Tom Baker both have like a twinkle in the eye. Mm. And I don't know that I would, if we hadn't have had this with this moment of the two of them together, I don't know that I ever would have seen how similar their spirit is. Mm. But it's there and it's in it's all encapsulated in that little that little tiny moment. Right, right. One of the things the um the show has kind of pushed at in I'd say recent years since since about 2013 has been making the lineup of actors who plays the doctor a little bit less both less uniform and less tidy in terms of, you know, we now have I saw all of you. The the numbering is all faces all of them are you. You're the 11th doctor. I said he was me. I never said he was the doctor. What does it even mean anymore? Because we have the war doctor thrown in there. We have this mysterious future curator. We've recently had the timeless child and the Ruth doctor. That's not possible. Unless it is. But what would that mean? And of course now the doctor can be played by people who aren't just white men. And so this is, I feel like this is one kind of like inflection point in that series of changes. And I'm curious to know, how do you think this changes how we see the character of the Doctor, knowing that this is like, this is a part of, of who he is? It does add a lightness to the legacy. If the Doctor is in however many centuries, chilling and revisiting a few old favorites and like hanging out in the National Galleries, there is a freedom to that. It's beautiful to think of the doctor as retired mm. because that would mean that the doctor is happy. Yeah. 
I love that idea. I love the idea that the doctor, you know, pushes through all of this and fights and learns and runs and does all of those things. And ultimately is like, well, now is the time for me to hang out at the National Gallery. Hmm. I think that there is a beauty to that open-endedness. I think in a similar way, you mentioned like it's it's kind of freeing. It's also like in some ways it's writing a check the show can't ever cash. Like mm, yeah. it sets up a future for the Doctor that is far beyond the limits of where the Doctor Who storytelling is ever going to go. That's a really, it's really true. Yeah. This is not the 15th Doctor. It's the who knows how many of Doctor. Question um, mark Doctor. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, if if they're still making Doctor Who in – 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 150 years, this is still presumably going to be the character's future. So Yeah. And that's beautiful. I don't think about an end for the Doctor, really ever. But I think part of that is because I always will kind of envision them hanging out at the National Gallery. What do you think of the music choice for this scene? I absolutely love it. I mean, there's there's not a bad choice in the scene for me. So. <laughs> They're just missing. Um, I have I love Murray Gold. I love his scoring. I love the I love the tension that he that he actually has mm. in this piece. It is actually a very sad song that he puts behind this. There's a real sense of like of longing. I want to say, and like a little. There's a tinge of wistfulness, and especially that like the way that the score crescendos and decrescendos Mm. the way that he inhabits like this the swelling it sounds a little bit like crying but in a good way yeah yeah you know i um this actually wasn't he didn't choose to put this piece here Mm. this is the theme from the wedding of river song Oh, God, you're right, isn't it? Yeah. You've decided that the universe is better off without you, but the universe doesn't agree. River. Then where is it? Where is it indeed? Lost. Shh. Perhaps things do get lost, you know? I need to hand in my Murray Gold fan card. (laughs) Sheesh. Yeah, you know, there was um, the, that one time he was at Galley. I didn't get to see all of his all of his panel, but he was kind of griping a bit about the choice because he he composed an entirely different piece for this, the um, the song for four, which actually ends up getting used in in Deep Breath during the scene where the Eleventh Doctor calls Clara. I'm phoning you from Trenzalore, from the from the past. From before I change. I think this is a better I, piece for that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think I think we went with the right one. I'm loath to dis- disagree with Murray Gold, yeah. but I think we went with the, with the right one. Yeah, it has those characteristics you mentioned, which are also, I think, characteristics that Moffat wants to convey in the relationship between the Doctor and her song. And I think it fits better here. And I think it successfully gets at the sort of, you know, the crescendo and the decrescendo kind of gives you that sense of like out of time. I also like Song for Four. I just think it fits better where it is. Yeah, it fits better where it is. I wonder if there's a the link to archaeology in there. Hmm. Art gossip. Archaeology. Same thing. The, the question of past and the question of like what it means to examine something from the past and what it means to like sit with a character out of time. It works for me. What do you think about the way Doctor Who mines its own past for for content for nostalgia for mystery for fan pleasing references for things like that (laughs) do you think that's to the show's benefit or do you think it's a crutch i think it depends great answer (laughs) (laughs) i think it depends on the execution i really do i am one of those again old school fans who like if you mention harry sullivan i'm gonna be extremely happy it just happens and i can't control it 
I love that we love a thing that has so much history to pull from. Mm. So I am more inclined to like it than I am to not. That said, I think that there has to be a reason. Mm. If you're doing it just to show off, if you're doing it just to say, like, I also watch Doctor Who, <laughs> then I think, like, that's tiresome and I'm not interested in it. If you're doing it to say something new and interesting about the history or even just to speak to history, then I'm an easy viewer for it if you put in just the littlest of effort. Yeah. I think if there was ever a time to to kind of throw in the fan-pleasing reference, the 50th anniversary is probably it. Yeah, also that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was thinking there, there are examples in this story where I don't think it works quite as well. Like I, I kind of reflect sadly on the fact that they never really had a story with Kate Stewart yeah. where they didn't lean. Don't despair, Kate. Your dad never did. Like really heavily on the fact that she was the daughter of a character we already knew. Kate Stewart, heading up unit, changing the way they work. How could you not be? They never just kind of let her be her own awesome character throughout an entire episode, which would have been nice. But um, She also keeps getting turned into a Zygon. Yeah. Oh, Weird. they've probably just finished disposing of the humans a bit early. Like, <laughs> Kate Stewart just being? Dear me. I really do get into character, don't I? She's either her father or she's a Zygon. Yeah, I mean, I think with, I will say with the Brig specifically, because I, I have a, a huge amount of affection for the Brig. I'm afraid Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart passed away a few months ago. There is unfinished business. Doctor? Hmm. Yeah, uh, yes, yes. For uh, Nicholas okay. Courtney and the modern series. Um, yeah. And so I think they keep trying to fix it. Uh, what's the name? Lethbridge Stewart. And they're just never going to fix Captain it. Captain Archibald Hamish. Lethbridge Stewart. I, shall I won't speak for all like viewers of the classic series, but for me, there is a part of me that will like never quite be over it. Right, right. To kind of jump tracks, I'm curious to know, have you found yourself watching Doctor Who very much during the pandemic? I have found that I'm not watching my doctors during the pandemic, mm. but I am watching Doctor Who. Not, not terribly often. When I'm watching it, it's Matt Smith. Hmm. Which I I never would have guessed. <laughs> but why do you think that is? I honestly don't know. I mean, I think that I my fit my doctors are Peter Capaldi mm-hmm. and David Tennant from the modern series, and I think that there is a part of my pandemic existence that like can't bear it with those two right now. Hmm. Certainly with Peter Capaldi, like it's just I love his stuff. I think his stuff is magnificent. I love that it goes dark. I love that it's hard. I love that it's complicated. But that's also kind of not what I need right now. Right. And similar, I could say the same for David Tennant. I am watching more classic. And when I'm watching modern, I'm, I'm watching Matt Smith. I love his performance. I love Matt Smith as an actor. Hmm. There's a innocence to him. And so it's, it's a really kind of nice palate cleanser of Doctor Who right now that I, I wouldn't connect to as well in my normal experience with the show. Setting Tom Baker aside, which doctor in this episode do you think steals the show? I think it's the war doctor. So I won't remember that I tried to save Gallifrey rather than burn it. I think John Hurt is so magnificent. I have to live with that. That you can't take your eyes off him. But for now, for this moment. He is always at the top of his game. I am the doctor again. And thank you. there is something so beautiful about seeing him be so serious and so joyful all at the same time. 
Yeah. I think in the story that he kind of also plays the role of a representation of the of the classic series in some ways. <laughs> it's very true. Even though yeah. he's, you know, a completely new creation for, for the anniversary. But Why are you pointing your screwdrivers like that? They're scientific instruments, not water pistols. He throws shade at the sonic screwdrivers and the pretty boys. And, and, uh, <laughs> assemble a cabinet at them. It's just one of my favorite. Screwdrivers, what are you going to do? Assemble a cabinet at yeah. them? <laughs> like, I love the sonic screwdriver. But also, like, what are we doing? <laughs> I, I feel I feel like this is the only multi-doctor story up to this point where the different incarnations of the doctor are are treated as though they are actually the same person. We've seen the the second and, and third doctor hang out. I tell you, I but, practically yeah. had him one over, and then you turned up and he started treating me like an imposter. Well, you are really aren't like you? in the three mean? doctors or the five doctors. Not a lot is made of the notion that like we're actually revisiting the same person at multiple points during their life. And I think mm. the story does that pretty well. That's a really good point. I think it, I think it is one of the strengths. And you know, one of the things that Moffat was best at um, was kind of those those quick turns of phrases, mm. um, but also kind of reframing something simply that you hadn't thought about before and that scene in the tower of london with the three of them i don't know who you are either of you i haven't got the faintest idea now what you become if you destroy gallifrey the moment says the man who regrets and the man who forgets all of a sudden both of their characters just snap into a view that you've never thought about before and it's so succinct and it's so apt and like that whole sequence of having you know the calculation running through the sonic screwdriver but also like asking did you ever count count what okay where are you in history how many children there were on gallifrey that day for us i have absolutely no idea how old are you now oh i don't know i lose track it's brutal and it is doing exactly what you're saying it's it's formulating the doctors as one person with very different life experiences. And it's not diminishing either of them. Um, it's giving them both a lot of respect, but it also is like letting them both be their own experiences. Yeah. You know, the sort of default way to look at um, the moment you picked is the notion of Matt Smith and the viewers meeting the Tom Baker curator, like having this encounter with him. But you can also flip that on its head. And I wonder what you think it means for the character of the curator. What do you think it means for him and for his character to be having this encounter with a younger version of himself? I think it's equally important and equally beautiful. I also think it's very cool, you know, thinking about that in tandem with the scene that we were just talking about. Mm. Matt Smith goes from the oldest doctor to the youngest doctor immediately. Yeah. And so while like the whole special, he's like, he's the one who's been through the most. And then all of a sudden he's not. Mm. And that's such an interesting switch. And just as much delight as Matt Smith takes in seeing his prior forms, the curator takes in seeing him. Like, there's a real joy when oh, of the 11th Doctor first kind of comes through that. This is where I come The in. glowy thing and is faced with David Tennant. Mm, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Oi, ha, matchstick man. And he's just like, this is hilarious. And David Tennant's very, like, uh, kind of put out and a little oh, bit defensive. Ladies, Don't start. Listen, what you get up to the privacy of your own regeneration is your business. One of the and I, I think the curator... Again, like their spirit is actually very linked. I think the curator is also like, this is delightful. Look at you. Like, look at you and look at what you're going to do. And how cool is this? Mm. I think it's joyful. I know I keep using that word, but I really like 
I keep coming back to it because I think that it's just as important for both of them in that moment. Do you think the doctor would be a good museum curator? Yes. Oh, come on. The doctor would be a great museum curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. I mean, also, there's like the questionable ethics of, of museum origin story. Sure, sure, yeah. Which I think plays very nicely into the doctor. I could absolutely see the doctor being like, what is the problem? I'm just going to take this and it's just going to be fine. It's like that river song energy happening. Mm. <laughs> I'm an archaeologist. Slash murderer slash thief. An archaeologist is just a thief. With patience. <laughs> I think the doctor would be a great curator. I mean, they know all of time and space and history. So they know what art to put with other art also. Imagine like the stories of a doctor curated exhibition. Like what even would that be? I, I feel like the doctor's approach to curation would be kind of similar to the 12th doctor's approach to being a professor in uh, series 10. You were going to give a lecture on quantum physics. You talked about poetry. Poetry, physics, same thing. How is it the same? Because of the rhymes. There are connections that he is cognizant of that don't necessarily make sense to anyone else. Yep, for sure. Which also, like, I'm so on board for that. Because again, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is what it tells you. Mm, That's pretty much all I have. Do you have anything else you want to say about the moment before we wrap up? Um, the round things are there? Uh, The round things, yes. (laughs) The round things. I love the round things. What are the round things? No idea. <laughs> I do like it's it's tiny, but it is really beautiful to me that they let Tom Baker walk, presumably out of the filmed history of the show for him, mm. with the backdrop of the roundels. I just do. I think like it's almost like the better version of letting David Tennant still say, I don't wanna go. It's just a beautiful gesture to let that be what's behind him as he walks away. And that concludes this episode of The Moment. Thank you to Shannon Dohar, who you can follow on Twitter at SDohar. Shannon is a contributor to the Head Over Feels blog, and she also co-hosts two different podcasts for the Musically Inclined. So Much Stuff to Sing is a podcast about the American musical, which Shannon co-hosts with past Moment guest Eric Stadnick. And Deeper Cuts is a podcast about diving deep into albums with deep meaning. And that one also features Graham Burke, another past Moment guest. Thank you for joining us once again for another season of The Moment. This is only the first of six weekly episodes, and I'm excited for you to hear the rest of them. If you want to find out more about the show, you can head over to themomentpod.com, which includes show notes, relevant links, etc. I would love it if you would follow the show on Twitter and or Instagram at themomentpod in both places. And you know what else would be great? If you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. For some reason, doing that actually does help the show reach new listeners. I don't entirely understand how that works, but I have been reliably assured that it is so. And if you would like to support the show on Patreon, then head over to patreon.com slash themomentpod. It has been a long, strange year, and I am glad to be back with you, and I am glad that you are here with me. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. <laughs>